This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's show, I am joined by the Commissioner of America's First Conference, the MIAA, Dr. Chris Brown. Dr. Brown is beginning his second year as commissioner and brings a wealth of experience to his role as a former administrator at the universities of Kansas and Delaware, as well as the NCAA national office. In this episode, he explains how putting student athletes first has shaped his vision for the conference, his views on expanding the conference, and offers advice for students wanting to break into college athletic administration. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so joining us on the show today, we have the commissioner of the MIAA, Dr. Christopher Brown. Dr. Brown, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for the opportunity. Happy to be here. And it's our pleasure to have you here. So trying being a, a member of the MIAA, it's always nice to have the actual commissioner join us, the, the guy in charge. And, and not only that, but commissioner of the oldest conference in the country. I, do I have that correct? You have that correct. 1888, the very first we predate the Big Ten, the SEC. We were doing it way before them. Yeah. And, and I know there's like some information out there that, that the Big Ten was the first conference, maybe the first major conference, but the MIAA was the first conference in America. So um, kind of a cool thing. And, and now kind of wrapping up your first year. Um, tell us about how are things going in the MIAA and, and how's your first year going for you? Yeah, things are going strong. I mean, you're sitting at Trine University, the now defending 2023 softball national champions. So, I mean, it was a great start to the year. Trine, of course, a powerhouse school within our conference did very well. But, you know, all of our schools have really done a tremendous job over this last academic year. Of course, there's the on-the-field performance. Very proud of a lot of outcomes, a lot of great successes, both within the conference, but also within the national uh, side of things. But, you know, more than anything, it's been the commitment from each of our schools to just continue to enhance and get better, whether that's through web streaming, through the programs provided for student athletes. It's everyone's trying to get better and do the best that they can to support our student athletes. So it's been a great first year. I've gotten to travel around and be at all of our campuses, I believe at least three times that I've stopped by at each of them. So it's been a lot of fun getting to know each of our colleges and universities. And you know, that's kind of the fun thing about this conference. You know, it's pretty nicely located. All the schools are nicely located within about, you know, what, about four or five hour radius. So um, oh. that makes things nice, you know, for you as a commissioner and certainly on the budgets for <laughs> these schools as well. Um, you know, some of the things you just kind of touched on, we're going to get into here in this show. But first, you know, tell us about your background and then, you know, your job as the commissioner. You know, how did your experience prepare you for this new leadership role? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, you know, it's interesting. I never thought I'd work in sports that wasn't on the radar. I attended Colorado State University, majored in history. I actually thought I was going to be a lawyer. Had a good friend ask me one day pretty pointedly, well, why do you want to be a lawyer? And, you know, I had no idea. Could not answer that question. I thought, well, I probably shouldn't do that if I don't know why I want to do it. So I worked in recreation and undergrad and found out that you can get a graduate assistantship and someone will pay for school. And so I said, that sounds wonderful. Thought I'd delay being an adult for a little bit longer. 
picked up sight unseen and moved from Colorado to Clarksville, Tennessee, where I attended Austin P State University. While working at Austin P, I discovered that there was this thing called college athletics and people were pretty interested in it. And I thought, well, I like recreation, but I think I might athletics like athletics a little bit more. So went over, started actually as a tutor. So tutored in history. And that was a lot of fun. And that led to an internship at the Ohio Valley Conference in the area of compliance. And so I knew nothing about NCAA rules or regulations. And so I was just doing little projects here or there just to help my knowledge base. At the end of that year, I was fortunate enough to get a full-time job at Southeast Missouri State University. I worked for about a year and a half, worked for a tremendous athletic director, Mark Allnut, who's at the University of Buffalo now, uh, who really invested in me and helped me learn college athletics in a bigger picture. Uh, while attending a professional development opportunity that he had sponsored me for, I had mentioned offhand, hey, I'd love to work at the NCAA one day. I think that'd be a really cool experience, thinking five, 10 years down the road. Well, two weeks later, I'm getting an email about a job at the NCAA and encouraged to apply for it. And so I applied thinking, I'm not going to get this job. I'll be here at SEMO. It'll be great. Everything's mm -hmm. fine. Uh, lo and behold, I got the job. And so I made the move from Southeast Missouri State University to the NCAA national office. I spent my first two years uh, working in Division II. So I went from a D1 campus to D2 in the national office. Uh, interpreting NCAA rules, giving waivers when schools requested them to really do something that was against the rules. But then my governance responsibility was to help schools join the NCAA. So work with NAIA schools, making that transition to Division II, which was a lot of fun, a ton of travel, getting to engage with a number of constituents. And then at the end of two years, I said, well, I, I think I like Division II, but I'd love to see what Division III is about. So I applied for a promotion, ended up getting it. And so Worked in Division Three, interpreting the rules, waivers still, but actually drafted and wrote NCAA rules and regulations, which is a lot more fun to tell people than it is to actually do. <laughs> sure. Uh, while working uh, on the D3 side, I actually worked with the chair of our President's Council at the time, Jeff Docking, who is still the president of Adrian College. And I read his book, A Crisis in Higher Education, and I was inspired. It was all about the nexus of enrollment management mm -hmm. and athletics. And I thought, this is incredible. I want to learn as much as I can about this. And so I took a leap of faith. I quit my job at the NCAA. I sold my house and I moved out to Lawrence, Kansas, where I attended the University of Kansas for three years. Worked as a graduate teaching assistant, teaching classes, grading papers, being a student, and ended up starting up a business because I still found that I loved working in athletics. And so ended up working with the NCAA, the Knight Commission, and a number of other institutions and conferences, just helping them navigate compliance situations. And so at the end of those three years, I stayed on faculty for a little while and taught at the University of Kansas for making a transition to the University of Delaware, where I served as Senior Associate AD prior to taking on this role in July of 2022. You know, I'm pretty fortunate. I am a big believer in an old quote from Steve Jobs. You can't connect the dots looking forward, really only looking backwards. And so I think each of the steps, while it wasn't planned to be the commissioner of not only the uh, MIAA, but any conference for that matter, I think each step has provided that opportunity, whether it be learning the academic side of the house of the University of Kansas and how it can really work in partnership with athletics, whether it was that being at the national office and understanding how the intricacies of NCAA rules apply to a division three institution working on the membership side of things to learn how do you help schools join the association and be a good member in good standing i think all of those things have worked where we are today and so you brought up something interesting so i was an ad for two years at an naia school and you talked about reading the book about education or higher education is just some of the you know i think we're seeing it now just some maybe we're here but not you know oncoming but i think we're here where you know we're seeing schools start to close their doors um, enrollments going down, 
some people bucket this, but you know, I tend to think this has legs. Do you think athletics kind of acts as that front porch of the university, even for small schools, and to kind of maybe offset some of this thing, some of these things we're seeing with decreases in enrollment? You know, it's a good idea for students to in or for schools to invest into their athletic programs where, where appropriate. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, athletics has always been the front porch of most universities. You know, you think about the University of Kansas, you think about their basketball program first before you think about the chemistry department, even though they have a wonderful chemistry department. Right. It opens the door and gives you insight to the school. Now, I think the biggest difference between the University of Kansas and maybe a smaller NAIA school is, yes, it's the front porch, but it might be the thing that actually pulls you into the school. You know, if you have the opportunity to participate in, let's say, soccer, it's not that you're going to the school because you're against the academics and you solely want to focus on soccer it's that no this is the thing pulling you and it'll be an anchor for you to be at that university now i think schools really should invest more so in athletics i think as you touched on there is the enrollment aspect of things right it's hey this is something that's going to be great in terms of keeping your numbers where they need to be to be viable for a long time with that said i think there's an even greater purpose behind it it's those skills that you learn through athletics it's we call them soft skills we call them power skills it's that ability to be a good teammate that ability to navigate tough situations work with people who you don't really enjoy working with, but still move towards a common goal. I think as much as you're investing in athletics to increase enrollment and to keep yourself viable, you're also investing in athletics to make sure that those individuals coming through your school, they're going to be great, not just on the field, but you'd be able to take on the world when they leave your university. So I think there are a lot of legs to it. You've seen schools invest early in this process and they're seeing the dividends, both in the quality of students they're producing, but in staying viable. But I think I would encourage a lot of universities to really look at athletics because it's a place that's not only going to keep you open, but you're producing great students. Your coaches are your greatest recruiters and retention officers. It's the total package if you invest in it correctly. And that's an important point. And I probably should have said that in my question. You know, it's I, and, and I'm not I'm speaking for myself for no yeah. institution here. Right. Uh, but we don't I, I don't know if using athletics necessarily just as a driver for enrollment to get numbers and numbers and numbers is the most ethical thing. But, you know, investing in it, not just in programs, but what are we doing for these students to make sure they have a great experience um, that those skills you talked about, they're able to um, transition into the professional world. And, you know, I think at the, the D3 level, at least is when I've done my research, it's, you know, these students really feel a part of the university. Not that they can't at other big D1 universities, but there's just so much more time to get involved in, in clubs and the social aspect and get to know professors than maybe your, your larger institutions where the bulk of your time is going to be with your team. No, I think that's exactly spot on. I mean, I think I just even think back to trying winning the national championship and looking at that parade of them coming in from the airport of how many people were there from the university and the community. And it's, well, that's not any different than what I saw at the University of Kansas, but yet it felt more personal in nature. Mm -hmm with things. And that's important because that's what's going to keep those long-term ties and have you excited to be an alumni and want to come back later on down the road. Yeah, certainly something we're still celebrating here, even into <laughs> right. the fall with our, our softball team. So as commissioner, what are your responsibilities? Like what does kind of a, a, a normal, in scare quotes, a normal day look like for you? Yeah, I don't know if I ever have a, a normal day. But, you know, <laughs> I, a, another commissioner colleague framed it very well. We're caretakers of the conference, you know. 
We don't own it. It's our job to facilitate this conference and make sure that our schools and our student athletes are put in the best possible position to be successful. So uh, my days usually start off pretty consistently. I check the books. I mean, financial are the one of the most important things that you'll do in any role, but especially as you ascend to different leadership roles, making sure that you're financially viable and stable is of the utmost importance. So taking time to make sure that Every check is clear that we need to, that there's nothing off within the numbers is very much important. The next thing I do is check email, see if there are any fires that have popped up overnight, anything that I need to tend to, but to really be in that support role. You know, I spend a good amount of time just working with our schools to see, hey, do we have any compliance questions that need to be answered? Any transfers that we need to work through? Are there questions that I can answer or processes that I can facilitate between you and the national office to make things a little bit easier? So oftentimes, be on the email a lot of the time. Uh, next, working on schedules. Scheduling is a huge piece of what we do. And so spending a lot of time getting our schedules moving through. Fortunately, we partnered with a scheduling company to help with that. And it's made my life tremendously easier because that's certainly a skill that, as I described in my background, I did not have experience in. So it's certainly been a work in progress. The last thing that I'll do within a day is the most fun part of the day, and that's getting out to our campuses, going to games. You know, you can lose sight of the fact that you work in higher education very quickly because you're in a little bit of a silo working within a conference office. But getting out to campuses, watching our student athletes compete, that's the sweet part of the job. And so take some time to step away from the laptop. If you need to get a hold of me, always have the phone. But I want to go and see our student athletes compete and excel at what they do. So one of the things you just touched on there, you, you talked a little bit about finances. You yeah. know, uh, unfortunately, ESPN isn't going to come in and, and make us part of the Big Ten um, here at the D3 level. You know, for a smaller conferences, whether it be D3 or NAIA or, or anything in between, you know, how do you raise revenue? You know, thinking about, you know, securing corporate partnerships, maybe it's things with, with streaming, other types of advertising that you can do in the conference. Yeah, so that's been a big focus since I took on the job because you're right, there aren't a lot of revenue streams within the Division Three space. And so, you know, our primary source of revenue is actually from our schools. Mm -hmm. They pay dues into the conference, which allow us to function, operate each of our conference championships and do different programming. In addition, we're fortunate within the Division Three landscape to have grant funding that comes from the NCAA that allows us to do a number of different programs. And so those are kind of our core, if you think about it, budget opportunities. But then again, we also have our ticketing. And so we're fortunate that our fans of the community have really invested in the MIAA. And so when conference championship season rolls around, they're coming in, they're buying tickets, they're buying merchandise as a component of being at those conference championship. But I think there's definitely room for growth. You know, I mentioned the conference memorabilia being at championships. We've dabbled in that throughout the years, but we're making a more concerted effort to have more of that available and different gear available when you go to championships to have as keepsakes and memories from being at those championships. But we're really focusing our attention on over this next year is increasing those corporate partnerships. You know, today we announced a partnership with the Lansing Herald Group, and so they're helping produce a weekly rundown, breaking down each of the performances of our programs, we're working to get sponsorship for that. In addition, we'll be launching the MIAA Network this month, which will be a streaming platform where any MIAA fan can catch any MIAA game they so choose, which opens the door for more partnerships throughout uh, the year. And then in addition, our conference championships.
partnership, speaking corporate partners to help to offset some of those costs. I think we will seek things like title sponsors, make sure that we're selling advertisements within the programs and on the screens of our video boards. So it's something I don't know if we've done a tremendous job over time doing, but is definitely on my list of things that are a high priority moving forward through this next year. Well, and I think that's one of the hardest things maybe at this level is just having inventory. Like yeah. what in the world is it that we we can sell? So, you know, to hear you kind of just starting to set the foundation and starting to put those things in place, I think it bodes well for, for the future of the conference. So that's pretty exciting to hear. Um, one question I, I didn't have on the list, but I think you may be the perfect person to answer this with your experience at the NCAA and now working in uh, D3 and in D2. You know, a lot of people want to bang on the NCAA because they bring in, oh, they bring in a billion dollars of revenue and they think it's, you know, just the president of NCAA kind of swimming in money like Scrooge McDuck or something. But I don't think they understand just how much of that money goes back to the member institutions, including D3. So how does that kind of work? You know, I'll say kind of on the corporate level, the NCAA, where they bring in all this money, especially like from March Madness, and how does that make its way back to the schools? Yeah. So if you think about it, uh, caretaker might be the best way to describe the NCAA as well. So the NCAA, um, we refer to the association as the national office, the folks working within it, President Baker running the shop. But the NCAA is really our conferences, our institutions, our student athletes. They represent the NCAA. Now, I think it is fair to say there are billions brought in for March Madness, but that money is brought into the NCAA as the caretakers. And it's their responsibility to distribute that money as the membership us within the conference and our institutions have decided it should be distributed. Now, the place that's most important to us in D3 is making sure we get our 3% of that revenue. And so it's what allows us to operate. Those conference grants that I described earlier, that's all because of March Madness and the percentage that we get from the CBS Turner contract. Division two has a very similar setup in that they get a legislative percentage that's always guaranteed so that we can operate, have our championships and provide a high quality student athlete experience. In addition, a portion of that goes to other programs within the national office that are run. If you think about what I described about going from SEMO to this professional development opportunity, which led to a job at the NCAA, that was all funded due to the March Madness money. But the majority of that money is actually distributed back to the Division One conferences. You know, as you think about realignment and movement that might happen, not just at the Power Five level, but at the Group of Five and those conferences that are the non-Group of Five, a lot of that is dependent upon the revenue that you can get, yes, from media, but also directly from the March Madness tournament. Having teams that are going to the tournament can result in very easily a million dollars right back to a, even a small division one conference. So that money goes right back to the membership and allows for our conferences to operate and provide a quality student athlete experience. Now, one thing I always like to note, and this is really something I learned from the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics and their work, is the fact that with when it comes to FBS football, even though the NCAA oversees all of that, none of that revenue is passed through the NCAA. It goes right back to the conferences. So conferences are getting a pretty good deal on this revenue, and the NCAA takes a lot of flack, but it does a lot of good to provide quality student-athlete experiences across all three divisions. And I think that's something, you know, we won't get into conference realignment and all that stuff here either. But again, just kind of maybe another myth that's busted for people who might be listening, you know, especially these huge schools, the, you know, the big power five schools, um, they're not necessarily, you know, profit centers either. You know, a lot of those schools are losing money. So yeah, I know these big contracts coming in kind of just seem mind, uh, mind blowing. Um, but 
it costs a lot of money to run an athletic department at, at that level there. Um, so kind of getting back to, to your role at the MIAA, you know, how do you set the direction for the conference and, and especially, you know, making decisions, whether it be regarding inventory or um, to sell or what we want to do for the student athletes, bringing in new schools and, and everything in between? Yeah, you know, it's really a twofold approach. The first one is I listen, you know, generally, I don't want to be the one constantly talking. Uh, I really want to hear, well, what do others think? We're fortunate that we've had a lot of continuity within our league. So we have some folks who have been here, not only as administrators, but as student athletes themselves within the conference. And so to hear their perspective of, okay, what was the experience when you're a student athlete? Okay, how have things changed over time? It's allowed me to make some, I think, good decisions at time and avoid some bad decisions, not due to my smarts or really intelligence by any means, but just due to listening to the fact that, oh, you did this in 1997, it didn't work, not much has changed in this space, okay, no need to make that change. So I'm fortunate to work with just a number of tremendous administrators and coaches who make my job easy and that they inform me on the things that we need to be doing. In addition to listening, I also pay just a keen attention to what's happening in the national landscape, having great conversations with my commissioner colleagues, keeping an eye on what direction things are going in. I'm a student of higher education. I read the Chronicle of Higher Ed every single day. And so paying attention to, well, what's happening within higher ed that although they're not framing it in an athletics way, is going to have an impact. I mean, we mentioned schools closing down. Well, when you read in the Chronicle about a school being in trouble, they're not talking about athletics, but I can very quickly see, okay, well, that school's in this region. If they close, that means that conference is without a school, which means they might look over here to go and get a school, which means it's a whole trickle. So paying attention to what happens and making sure that we're being proactive in addressing those issues. You know, you can take any number of issues, but we like to do our research. And so, you know, whether it's myself or our, either our two assistant commissioners, we're researching to see, well, if this happens, what should we do? And making recommendations to the folks that we work with. Like I said, I work with tremendous leaders at the highest level within our president's council they know what to do. It's just allowing them to have all the information to make an informed decision. So it's really a combination of research, listening to folks who have been in uh, different positions that can give me great information, and then just providing the necessary information for our conference to make the right decisions. So I think one of the things when you think about, you know, expansion, and we'll say just at this level, the D3 level, um, when when I was an athletic director, it was always really interesting, those conversations on, you know, making sure, because there, there were never a shortage of schools who, who wanted to get in, it felt like. But, you know, being a right fit, you know, not just all, geographically, but just a right fit with the other schools in the conference were always really important. Um, what do those conversations look like with, with the MIAA? I mean, you don't have to give us confidence information. But, you know, if a school comes to you and says, hey, you know, our, our conference is diminishing or, or it's going away because schools are closing or whatever reason, um, if a new school wanted to get in, maybe what are the things you look for or, or what are the core values, I guess, of the MIAA um, for a, an institution to be a member? Yeah, happy to answer that. You know, the first place is going to be academics. What is your academic reputation? What kind of degrees are you providing? Is it a quality academic experience? You know, we take academics very seriously within the MIAA. And so that's going to be the first thing that our presidents and ADs are going to look at to see, are you academically sound or are going to be a good fit in that space? After we've checked off academics and know that they'll be a really good fit or going to provide a great degree, then we shift over to, to athletics. 
what are you going to bring to the table? You know, we've talked about trying national championship. We're always trying to raise the caliber of athletics within the conference. And so we don't want you to come in and be the last place team within the league. We want you to raise the standard for all of our teams. So what are you going to do athletically? You don't have to be amazing in every sport. But what are the sports where you're really good at and where areas where there might be some just mutually beneficial opportunities there? In addition, you know, we've touched on it. Budgets are tight. And so how far are you away? You might be the best institution, be incredibly uh, a good fit academically in athletics, but if we're going to have to travel 600 miles to get to you for a conference game, that's going to be a challenge. So making sure that you're in a good geographic footprint overall is very helpful. And so that can be a number of things. Are you close in proximity? Are you close to other schools that we compete against on a regular basis that we could get very strategic in scheduling to make sure that we're not overburdening our student athletes and adding increased travel to their already pretty hectic schedule? So making sure that they're a good geographic fit are of the most importance. In addition, we want to make sure that you're doing the right things socially as well, making sure that you're doing the right things as far as gender equity and Title IX. So we know that you're not going to be an issue later on down the road and provide those equal opportunities to our female student athletes that we're doing for our male student athletes as well. After those things, that's when you get a little bit more into the weeds of things, which get really, really fun. It's, well, what are your sport offerings? Are there sports that we're on the cusp of maybe thinking about adding that you'd bring in a great member into? Those are really fun conversations because now we're thinking about not just the next few years of the conference, but maybe 10 years down the road of what sports we might be successful in. And it's exciting to get very granular with those conversations and really dissect, well, what will this person or this institution bring to the table? What kind of governance structure do they have? We have a governance structure where our presidents meet, our FARs meet, our athletics directors, like everyone's very engaged and involved. Our financial aid directors meet. So we want to make sure that that member knows, hey, we expect you to be fully engaged. It's not just an athletics move. It's a fully institutional move. So that's just a little bit of insight. But once again, every school would be on a case-by-case basis for what they would bring to the table for the conference. So thinking of you know your role as the commissioner there and just you just nailed it. Like all the different people that you have to work with and everything that you have to navigate, you know, how important is having those interpersonal skills as a commissioner, just being able to relate to people on a different level in in different positions? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, because you're dealing with a number of folks, as you noted, that are just in various positions. You need to be able to talk to a fan of the MIAA who lives down the street from one of the schools and goes to a baseball game every single week, just as well as you need to relate to a university president who is, yes, very passionate about athletics, but has an entire campus to be thinking about and everyone in between. So uh, getting out of your comfort zone, I'm an introvert by nature. And so you just sometimes have to get out of your comfort zone and just talk to people and get to know them, ask more questions and try and talk a little bit less and just listen to people's stories. You know, I think that's been the most fun part about this job. It's America's first conference. A lot of people have a lot of touch points within this local region. And so it's getting out there and hearing stories about folks' grandparents who were on the 1954 basketball team. And if you just listen, you hear some cool stories and it makes the job a little bit easier. And those folks remember you. I've definitely had some opportunities where I've been out and about and just going to games where I've gotten to engage with folks who they care so much about this league and what we're doing that it's inspiring and it makes it easy to get up every morning and work hard for this conference. So as you kind of think back to your time as a student and coming up and and getting into this role here, 
you know, what advice could you give to students to kind of maybe develop those roles? Because I think a lot of people kind of consider themselves introverts. I do too. One-on-one, I'm fine. But if you would drop me in a room, a hundred people and say, go get a hundred business cards, I'd probably shut down. Um, you know, how, what, how do you get some of those soft skills, you know, if you're in college now and, and you want to be a commissioner or AD, uh, any advice you would give? Yeah, you know, the best advice I'd give, and I wish I would have done this earlier on in my career, is do informational interviews. You know, as students, people want to talk to you. I think everyone's been in your position before. We've all been blessed to stumble our way through to get to where we are now. But take the time to speak with individuals who are in just an array of positions, you know, even though you might think, hey, I never want to work in NASCAR. If someone who works in NASCAR is willing to give you some time to chat, Take that time, take it seriously, ask as many questions as possible. The nice thing is by doing it that way, you're asking about their career. The pressure isn't on you to come up with things to say. It's, hey, well, tell me about your experience doing this. Tell me about how you arrived at this position. And this is a great way to get comfortable talking to just a wide array of folks who are working in different industries, in different areas of the sport industry, and just learn as much as possible. So take the time. If I were going back and being a student again, I'd be doing at least one informational interview a week because you'll get those people skills that you really want to develop, but you're also going to grow your network. And that's something that's going to be tremendously helpful in the future. So do as many informational interviews as possible. Know that awkward conversations are just a part of it. But the more and more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get. And that's that's great advice. And, you know, personally, that's one of the reasons I, I love doing this podcast. I mean, it's just kind of a nice perk of the job. But just being able, I mean, just to even have this conversation here with you and just kind of learn things from that commissioner position. I'm like, you know, I didn't think about that. Or that's kind of a, an interesting um, perspective. So, you know, it it doesn't have to just stop when you're a student. You know, you can do this forever. And it's amazing the doors that open. So um really glad you said that because that's something I'm consistently banging on on my students to do. Um, so if you think back over your career, and, and I know you still got a lot in the uh, front windshield, but you know, you've done a lot of really cool things up until now. What are some of the proudest moments of your career? Yeah, you know, proudest moments, a really good question. I think a big one was even getting the job at the NCAA. You know, being on a campus, you hear about the NCAA, but you don't actually think about the fact that there are real people working in that office. And so to have the opportunity to cross that threshold and say, wow, I'm an NCAA staff member and really see how things work. It was a tremendous blessing. You know, I think the other proudest moment would actually be coming back into athletics. You know, it was a really big leap of faith going to earn a PhD and you take a lot of risk. And that folks go, well, look at your resume. You're not really the same candidate that you were when you were consistently working in athletics. But, you know, once again, I'm a big believer in my faith and that you can't connect the dots looking forward, but only looking backwards. And I think everything worked out in the way that it was supposed to. But I'm very much proud that I took the opportunity to go and earn a PhD. And it, I think ultimately I'm the better forward. So those are just two highlight moments that stick out for me. Just getting through the NCAA doors and be able to work within those four walls, but then also to take the time to leave and then know and really trust and faith that I could come back. I have a lot of students who want to work as an AD or maybe even as a conference commissioner or even at the NCAA. You know, is a graduate degree required to do that? Or, you know, do they need to pick a path? So you you brought up compliance earlier. And it seems like if you want to work, you know, at a high level D1 school, you, you almost have to kind of be a master of a trade, whether it be compliance or marketing facilities, whatever it would be. You know, is that true? Or is there some other type of 
you know, secret sauce and a good word, but is there something else they need to do? Is it, is it experience? Is it networking? Is it a combination of all that? Like, what would, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. Of course, you should network, right? You need to have people who will vouch for you. And I don't think I truly appreciated it until I was in a position of hiring, but everyone wants to work in sports. It's a cool yeah. job. It's a really great gig. And so when you have 150 resumes and everyone has kind of done the same things, it's really hard to differentiate. But if someone will call and say, hey, this person's really good, they're talented, they did this, it can just separate you and get you to another pile. So make sure that you're doing that networking to help you get in the door. But once you're in the door, you have to perform. You have to be able to do the job. So make sure that you're ironing those skills. Now, something that I wish that I would have had the opportunity to do is just to try as many things as possible. It worked out that I entered compliance and I was somewhat good at it. But, you know, now knowing what all is entailed with being in a leadership role, I do think, wow, I wish I would have done more fundraising earlier on in my career. I wish I would have tried marketing because now this is a much more important component of my job on a day-to-day -day basis. So while you're a student in undergrad, if you do pursue to get a, decide to pursue to get a graduate degree, try as many things as possible. Even if you're working in marketing, most athletics departments are not full of people and say, hey, we can't use extra help. See if on and off night you can help out with compliance and learn the certification process. Ask around because once you're already in the doors, you can try as many things as you want. As it relates to getting a graduate degree, you kind of have to decide what's important to you. You know, I love doing a graduate assistantship. As I noted, I got to delay being an adult. So that was a lot of fun. I think that's a great way that as you're leaving your undergraduate time, you're still in school mode, you're still disciplined enough to do that work. It's just a couple of extra years that you're adding on, mm -hmm. but you'll get extra experience. And two, you'll get an opportunity to differentiate yourself on a resume because if someone has a bachelor's degree and someone has a graduate degree, but they both have the same years of experience, I'm usually likely to go with the person with the graduate degree over the person who just has their undergrad. Now, that's not a blanket promise that that happens every time, but right. you know, it's just something else that differentiates you from others who are applying for the same job. That's great advice there. And you know, hopefully if students have been listening to the show, network, get experience. And then, you know, as you said, it just kind of depending on your career path or what's important to you, you know, grad school um, can't hurt, you know, and, and, and may help down the line. So uh, Dr. Brown, if anybody wanted to find out more about yourself or the MIAA, uh, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, you can reach out to me at actually my email is probably the best way to find me. Uh, MIAA commissioner at MIAA.org or at commish underscore Brown on Twitter. Fantastic. Well, um, keep up the good work there at the MIAA and I look forward to hopefully having you on campus sometime soon. Hey, happy to do it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to check out our next episode on October 13th as we welcome the coordinator of game activations and marketing for the Indy 11, Rachel Lopez. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Center for Sports Studies podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.